Bertolt Brecht said, misfortune in itself is a poor teacher. His pupils learn hunger and thirst, but seldom hunger for truth or thirst for knowledge. Suffering does not transform a sick man into a physician. Neither what he sees from a distance or what he sees face to face is enough to turn an eyewitness into an expert. I'm his mother. I know what's best for him, the young woman who has decided that vaccinating her child against a host of incurable diseases is the wrong way to go. I'm black. My black experience makes me an expert on all things black, says the 20-year-old activist. I'm a woman, and I am automatically expert on being a woman, says someone with a biological vagina. I'm a man, and I know all the things about man stuff and things men do and feel, says a fucking dude with a loincloth and a drum. Mistakes and failure are the ultimate teachers, but the School of Hard Knocks degree is a truckload of self-delusion, friends. Your ability to eat a shit sandwich and not vomit makes you an expert in exactly jack shit, except for being an expert in being you and your poor taste in sandwiches. And I hate to break it to you, but you are not representative of any group larger than that mirror self you notice getting older and saggier every day. I understand the desire to elevate one's experience to a more reliable authority. It's human nature to want to pass off your bullshit to encompass a larger subset of the tribe. I'd love to be able to speak for, say, all white people, all white males, all white males who happen to be straight, all straight white males who happen to be in the back end of middle age, etc. ad nauseum. I am, however, not a spokesman for any experience other than my own. Neither are you. Life is a crap teacher if nurture and compassion is what you're looking for. What does life teach us? Well, it teaches us a couple of things. First of all, it's all a competition. Start with the basics. Food, shelter, clothing, and we're all scrambling to get them. Anyone gets in the way of us having these three things and we go into strict competitive mode to acquire them. Jobs, competition, sex, competition. There is no nurture in the fight to live among the hairless talking apes on planet survival. Those of us who live in the United Skeets of Merca, even our poorest members have it better in this regard than 90% of the rest of the happy damping dip, dancing dipshits globally. And even we pit ourselves against each other in the melee for stuff we need, stuff we want. We steal office supplies from work. We elevate our own victim status to compete with other people who feel victimized. We experience, when we experience a real winter, we shovel out spots and leave lawn chairs out to claim dibs. All the school of hard knocks teaches us in this area is to be the biggest, most manipulative, strategic fuckhole imaginable. That wealthy 0.0001% we all despise for owning everything, they're winning. Second thing you learn. You are judged by how you look rather than what you do or what you think. No one cares what you think, not really. Unless it basically supports their already strictly defined perspective, no, one's, no one wants to hear it or read it. Certainly you are judged in part by your political status, but if you are physically attractive zealot, you get a pass. When I was sporting an additional 80 pounds, I didn't think anything of how I was regarded when interviewing for a job or dealing with customer service lady at the AT&T counter. When I dropped that weight, it was almost comical how much better people treated me. Think of it as an extension of the cute soccer mom talking her way out of a ticket versus the woman who looks like Ernest Borgnine in drag trying to same. 
You want to know why so many black men are incarcerated in disproportionate rates than white men and more black men are shot by police? Because they are black, not because they're part of the criminal class, not because they're poor, not because they might have a gun, because their skin is black. Police judge people by the color of their skin because everybody judges judges people by their appearance. First and foremost, it is a part of the core requirements for a degree in humanity at the School of Hard Knocks. Why do you think so many people bitch about kids wearing their pants down low? I mean, whose business is it but your own how you wear your fucking pants? Third, fairness is a concept you create in self-interest. It has been said by so many people, it's almost ridiculous, that life is not fair. The school of hard knocks hammers this truth like no other lesson. Fairness is a concept in self-interest rather than some sort of moral absolute. Is it fair that unarmed protesters of government corruption who happen to be mostly black or brown get tased and tear gassed and shot with rubber bullets, but a self-proclaimed Oregon militia who are both heavily armed and ridiculously white are merely observed? You bet your sweet ass those fucktards in Oregon think it's fair as it can be. People uncomfortable with the overt dialogue about race in this country likely think it's fair too. Fairness is a concept born from the obvious favoritism that Mother Nature bestows upon the strongest and the most cutthroat. Nature is dispassionate, and those with the most resolve to dominate and the ethical values of natural predators almost always win. In the zombie apocalypse, those with glasses, asthma, and wheelchairs old or completely out of shape are simply chum. The sad fact is is that if the world came to a screeching halt and we all had to fight for survival without modern electricity of gasoline-powered engines, that frat boy asshole who works out seven times a day and can bench-press your sister and her friends is going to last longer than the spectacle computer nerd. The fact is, it will be the Cubs fans who survive rather than the poets. Is that fair? Hard no- School of Hard Knocks says, who gives a shit if it's fair? It's reality. Back to Brecht. Suffering does not transform a sick man into a physician. It is arguable that the school of hard knocks mostly teaches us how not to behave. It teaches us to make better choices when navigating the brutal existence of unforgiving nature and uncaring humanity. To learn kindness, one needs to experience kindness from another. To learn cooperation, one must relinquish to the ideas of compromise and patience. To learn to show love, one must experience love personally and authentically. The school of hard knocks creates psychopaths and Machiavellian creatures hell-bent on clawing their way to the top of the heap. If that's the best we have, what a sad, starred bunch of apes we will become. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. Back in 2014, September, as Dana and I were on our first trip to Las Vegas to get hitched, we walked into the Flamingo in the morning. We were touristing, checking out different places. 
and walk in the strip. At the time, I'd never been in a major casino, and the sights were completely alien. We took a stroll and ended up at a craps table. There was a single player, obviously drunk and disheveled, as if he'd been there all night playing and sporting comp drinks. He took a long peek at Dana. Hey, where have you been? He slurred. Dana laughed, and I replied, She's been with me. We just got married. His alcohol-soaked attention took that in. He looked down at his dwindling bankroll. Ah, I hate this game. There's got to be a better way. He then stumbled off to another corner of the casino maze. Now that phrase has stuck with me ever since. There's got to be a better way. Trump and the White House and the American population divided in partisan ways unseen since the 1960s. There's got to be a better way. Sitting in Chicago, paying 60% of my income on rent. There's got to be a better way. Watching the left eat itself alive with a newfound fealty to the politics of grievance and victim status. There's got to be a better way. Another phrase that I heard from my grandfather back when I was not quite tall enough to ride this ride was, if you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want a glass of milk. The left are in a bit of a pickle. When the protests against police brutality in the wake of the George Floyd murder hit the streets, it was the party line to make the excuses for looting that seemed to pop up following relatively nonviolent demonstrations. The looting was acceptable and also not part of the protests. The looting came from agitators and white people trying to point, paint Black Lives Matter as a destructive rather than constructive movement. I use the word excuses because that's what they sound like. The arguments about a simmering rage in black communities over being intentionally stomped down for the better part of the last century are not to be ignored. The disparities in education, affordable housing, health care, job security, income inequality, and any sort of honest representation in media add up to a dark truth and on some level requires a release of genuine rage. In the first wave of protests, most of the proper damage, property damage was focused upon police structures, government structures, precinct buildings, police vehicles, government strongholds, targeted even within the chaos of confrontation. It expanded to a certain amount of indiscriminate mayhem that included businesses unrelated to the cause at hand, yet still available for destruction. Last week in Chicago, my home of 30 years, after a 20-year-old black man was shot by police because he had a gun and used it against them, and the Twitter bots fictionalized this as the police killing an unarmed 15-year-old followed by calls for looting downtown, caravans of black residents looted. Driving cars into storefront windows, running into businesses, and loading up on luxury items by the armload, and in some cases, truckload, there was no protest in tandem. This looting can't be excused as any sort of protest against police brutality. This was the action of people with one agenda in mind. Steal stuff they couldn't otherwise afford. No one smashed into a Nike store because they were hungry. No one grabbed handfuls of Macy's shirts and dresses to feed their impoverished kids. Quote, I don't care if someone decides to loot a Gucci or a Macy's or a Nike store because that makes sure that that person eats, said Ariel Atkins, a Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter organizer, according to NBC Chicago. That makes sure that person has clothes. That is reparations, she continued. Anything they wanted to take, they can take it because these, these businesses have insurance. If you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want a glass of milk. There's got to be a better way.
the left has a dilemma. Continue ex to excuse nights of non-protest looting couched in the language of civil rights activism or begin the inevitable fracture from the most strident of BLM activists who will justify any old bullshit as a response to racism. The rhetoric that categorizes random, disinformed theft and mayhem as reparations accomplishes exactly two things. It scares the shit out of those white voters unhappy with Trump but not frightened by him and completely tosses the legitimate arguments in favor of serious reparations out the fucking door. I have hope the choice is apparent. After all, Uncle Joe picked Kamala for his running mate, which means while the extreme social justice stigmatized will influence the Democratic side of the two-party behemoth, they won't be able to capsize the ship. Fluidity of memory and a capacity to forget is perhaps the most haunting trait of our species. So easy to misremember why Trump is in office. No effort required to reframe why Reagan got there or Nixon before him. If you give an activist a protest, she's going to want a Gucci bag. There's got to be a better way. Hey, welcome to episode 87 of Peculiar Journeys. A couple of things I want you to be aware of. Now, first of all, one of the things that I, I realized is I've been writing on Literate Ape for a long time now. And one of the series that I wrote was uh, problematic movies of the 80s and uh i've written enough and it's and those are consistently been read enough that i went ahead and reformatted everything that i've now made it a book and that book is going to be coming out pretty soon so i'll let you know about that the other thing that and i guess the process has been pretty interesting because when you write an essay just sort of a standalone essay online that's one thing and those were not written one after the other those were written over the course of about two years just because I thought it was an interesting thing. And if you want to read more about that, you can go to literateape.com and look up problematic movies of the 80s because they're all in there. But uh, I decided that I would make it a book. Well, in the process of making it a book, um, putting them all together and, and like reading them back to back to back to back, I realized that I had certain things that I had to change in order to make it sort of a, a, a readable book. And one of the things that Dana pointed out was that you know, I guess this is a problematic book about problematic stuff. I'm a problematic guy. And one of the things that I realized is that a lot of the movies that I watched when I was a kid really had lots of tits in them. I mean, that was part of the reason. Like, like, like six out of the 16 that I read, the only reason I had to even watch these movies when I was 13 to 18 was the tits. Well, I realized I probably used the word tits a hundred times in this uh, series of essays. So I realized, well, I can either not use the word tits as much, or I can come up with as many different versions of tits as I possibly can. Some were tried and true, sweater puppies, bazooms, bubes, all that stuff. Some I made up, Grabowskis. Uh, I think Jubblies came from uh, Monty Python, you know, just like so... If you get the book and you can get it, it's going to be a little more expensive in paperback because I like the color pictures and uh, color when you do the self-publishing thing costs more. But if you are a Kindle edition type person, you can get the ebook on Kindle when it drops and you'll get all the color and then that's going to be 
pretty cheap just because it's digital and why would I want to sell it for a whole lot of money other than to make a lot of money, but that's really not the point. Anyway, um, that's been a pretty interesting process, so I hope uh, that, that when it drops, you're at least interested enough to purchase that. Second thing, um, I have reformatted. It took me a little while. I've been in the Vegas for about a year and a half, and I reformatted DonHall.Vegas. The thing about it is when it was DonHallChicago.com while I was in Chicago. And when we moved to Vegas, I thought, well, I've got to gotta mix this up a little bit. So I got the .Vegas thing, and so it's DonHall.Vegas. But I hadn't really updated it very much. There were some picture updates, sort of a look that it was in the desert, but not really anything different about the website. And as I've discovered, especially in this time of pandemic and sort of reinvention, that I haven't really put a whole lot, whole lot of effort into sort of making my way into Vegas other than get a job, which I have at the casino, make some money, get an apartment, you know, just kind of like just survive. And I think probably for the last year and a half, Dana and I have been sort of in survival mode. And now that Vegas is being raised to the ground by uh, the economy and the pandemic and all this, uh, it, it's an opportunity for me to sort of restart, kind of kind of get a new start on this and, and uh, go back to sort of the roots of what I did when I started in Chicago. And so I have a brand new look and a brand new focus on the DonHall.Vegas website. If you have time and you're listening, go to www.DonHall.Vegas and you'll be able to see uh, some of the changes and sort of the, the new focus that I'm going on. So I appreciate it if you look at that. Um, and uh, finally, while the tag is uh, Patreon for this one, I am uh, losing Patreon Number one, because, uh, you know, I cannot say that the Patreon has been terribly successful. And number two, it's just energy um, that I don't want to put into anything. I don't want to put energy into that. And so I will be, by the time, probably by the time you hear this, there will be no more Patreon, even though I know the end of this will probably have some comment about Patreon. So I will get rid of that. Um, and maybe I will have gotten rid of that uh, in the time that I've got, but that's the deal. Um, I'm going to keep doing peculiar journeys. I don't know if you've noticed, it's been less and less about the, the, the specific stories and I'll try to get back to that. Um, but more and more about things that are going on in the world and sort of my perspective on things. If that's something you don't like, you don't have to listen. And if it's something you're interested in listening to, it's not a long podcast. If you like the podcast, I don't have social media, so let people know if, uh, you don't like the podcast, uh, try to cancel me whatever. Um, but that's the deal. So we're, we're here, we're doing things. And I hope that, uh, I hope that I keep you as a listener and I hope you, uh, recruit some people that, uh, will listen as well. And now some more stuff. Were you listening to the dude's story, Donnie? Walter. Were you listening to the dude's story? I was bowling. So you have no frame of reference here, Donnie. You're like a child who wanders into Walter, the middle of a movie and wants to know. Walter, what the fuck is he talking my about? My rug. Forget it, Donnie. You're out of your element. He peed on the dude's rug. Donnie, you're out of your element. In 1968, just two years after yours truly was squatted out, the world suffered a pandemic dubbed the Hong Kong flu. America went through a massive civil unrest surrounded by both Vietnam conflict and civil rights and was saddled with a corrupt Republican president. Sound familiar? Four years later, Nixon resigned rather than be impeached. By 73, we were in a recession. By 76, we were so beaten down by unemployment and skyrocketing gas prices. I remember sitting in my mom's brown AMC Gremlin in a gas rationing line for hours one day in the summer. 
Then came the 1980s. Ronald Reagan, more solid economy, the death of disco in the USSR, the AIDS virus, another pandemic, but mostly ignored because of bigotry and careless cruelty, the debut of MTV, HBO and Showtime, union busting, blockbuster video stores were stocked with plastic VHS movies, Prince, Madonna, Whitney Houston, and Michael Jackson, Donkey Kong and Pac-Man, leg warmers and eyeliner, lots of hairspray and parachute pants, Apple home computers, big clunky cellular phones, and Wayfarer sunglasses. The internet was still yet to come. The 1980s was in so many ways a backlash against the dark realities of the 1970s. Now, as with any societal celebration, there was almost always there, a, it always comes a smaller, more, more vocal backlash and response. In 1979, Reverend Jerry Falwell decided that the gays were exerting too much influence on our moral values and launched the moral majority. Randall Terry was so incensed at women having sex with no consequences and killing babies, he started Operation Rescue, an organization with the slogan, If you believe a more abortion is murder, act like it's murder. Tipper Gore, wife of President Al Gore, bought her stepdaughter, or bought her daughter, rather, a Prince album and was shocked, shocked that it contained a song about female masturbation. So she instituted the Parents Music Resource Center, PMRC, and launched a campaign to use parental advisory labels to warn parents against music with explicit or obscene con content. The Puritans had returned. I know, I know. Calling any strident bunch of moralist Puritans is a bit like comparing any authoritarian politician to Adolf Hitler, but if the shoe fits, man. I wasn't particularly vexed by these religious zealots because I was suffering my own sort of audio hell, the Shatter the Darkness Ministries. These are a set of cassette tapes my recently Christianized mother bought for me to demonstrate the powers of Satan through backmasking, the supplanting of secret satanic messages only decipherable when a rock song is played backwards. Now, nobody ever explained to me why someone would play a record backwards, but, you know, according to the tapes, it didn't matter. Satan was in there, and the only way to escape was to destroy all your albums. I did not destroy my albums. My general reaction was mild disdain and an eye roll. How seriously should any thinking person take these morons? Today, we have an equal and opposite set of morality patrol who have decided that it all must come down in order to combat their twin evils of the moment, racism and sexism. A moral majority with just a slightly different costume. Same game plan for a similar goal. Dictate an acceptable version of behavior and language to the unwashed masses. A pandemic, economic fallout, a corrupt president, plus the blinding speed of the internet. The recipe replicates that 1968 to 1979 stew of intolerance and demands for moral control, but cooked up in the microwave of Twitter. It is, however, still the same meal. In the early 70s, the New York Philharmonic began holding blind auditions as a response to a ridiculous lack of diversity among its membership. By taking the auditionee and putting him or her behind a screen, auditors could not be influenced by gender or race. Defanging the bite of discrimination, blind auditions resulted in a dismal 6% of players being women to nearly 50% today. Because the change did not garner similar results with black and Hispanic musicians, the blind audition must now be, quote, altered to take into fuller accounts of artists' backgrounds and experiences, unquote. No longer blind auditions, but auditions that tap into racial stereotypes that the left have been trying to eradicate for decades. We have a New York City congressman who calls for all history to cease being taught in schools. 
We have the belief that puberty is an oppressive social construct invented by fascists to uphold cis-normative hegemony. We've heard that making eye contact is sexist, but avoiding eye contact is racist. This new breed of morality patrol may not adhere to all of the teachings of pseudo-theologians Kendi or D'Angelo, but have creepily adopted the binary that everyone is either an oppressor or oppressed. The Jerry Falwell-style campaigns against Twisted Sister or Hustler were founded in the fears of adults about the world-damaging young minds and a desire to control that narrative. This new group is the opposite. Young people composing a fearful narrative of imagined harm and the seduction of bizarre academic theories in order to control what they have determined are egregious breaks in our new social protocols. Unlike my reaction to the Puritans of the 80s, these new McCarthyites have infuriated me. Maybe it's the speed of their influence or that I'm old and have been through all this before, but my annoyance has become near constant. All of the similarities between these prudes of the 80s and these self-righteous zealots of today, the most devastating is their lack of any sense of humor about almost anything reflective of themselves. I didn't find that inspiring then, and I don't find it persuasive now. And so... I will try to remember my mild disdain and eye roll. Falwell was only su as successful in his moral majority stance as he was taken seriously. Tipper made an absurd argument and got her labels because people took her arguments without question. Plainly, I'm no fan of the self-righteousness of those seeking control. Make no mistake, the neo-Puritans of social justice are not looking for much more than power for themselves. Just like the GOP and the moral majority, it is not in their interest to solve the problems. It's only in, in their interest to utilize the problems for their benefit. And I will not take them seriously because I do not destroy my albums. And those are some of my thoughts for this week. Um, please look forward to check out donhall.vegas if you've got a few minutes. Just want to check it out. If you have any suggestions or what the fuck are you thinking, send me an email at don4255 at gmail.com or just click one of those little uh, email links on the website. Um, if you enjoyed Peculiar Journeys episode 87, please send it along to a couple of people. Let people know that it's uh, it exists and that uh, they might be interested in listening to it. That'd be great. In the meantime, keep your social distancing. Wear your fucking mask. Don't be a douchebag. And, uh, and, and keep just, I mean, you know, a lot of people are having a lot of time, a lot of problems with the pandemic. There's a lot of, everybody deals with it differently. So do your best to take care of yourself, work out a little bit, eat something decent. Um, maybe watch some Netflix or some new Netflix. Watch Umbrella Academy because it's just fucking cool. It's just plain out super cool. Um, I hope movie theaters are open soon. Um, I really want to go bowling. Um, all these things. So have a great week and I'll talk to you next. Peculiar 
Peculiar Journeys is a weekly podcast featuring stories and thoughts from an arrogant, overly confident white guy. Lots of episodes were recorded while I was living in Chicago, and now I'm in Las Vegas. Check out donhall.vegas for updates, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts.